Good morning. And welcome. This is week three of our little podcast. Um, we still don't really know. I think we do know some people are listening, but it uh, can feel a little bit like speaking into a void. But we find it really helpful yep. uh, just to um, finish our weekend and uh, reflect back um, on our weekend. And this was um, the first week you preached. This is your first, first ever sermon that you've preached by yourself. Is that right? It is. It is. And it's interesting because generally speaking, on a Sunday after church, we'll be making a Sunday lunch and we'll be having this kind of conversation about your sermon. Mm. And I'll be the one with all the, yeah, but you could have said this and you <laughs> you maybe could have alluded to that. Um, so it's quite interesting now being on the other end of that. And um, so, I mean, it was something you felt as we began the week last week, thinking about this this Sunday and, and where it was going. It was something you felt very strongly that you wanted to tackle yourself, really. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was something that um, resonated with you. That's kind of true, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, just, you know, people have things in their life that they most identify with. And then when it comes to dealing with, you know, understanding God, those are certain things that um, make God more, re- you know, I don't know, I can't think quite of the word, but key into their lives more. They get God through that that means. And I think parenthood is probably, for me, that's... Um, that's a key part of how I understand relationships, both in you know my relationship with my mum and my relationship with my children, and so mm. that helps me to understand and be maybe more gracious to myself if I understand God as a parent mm, okay. than maybe if I think of God as a you know almighty or powerful or you know that if that so that's that's probably where this is coming from for me. And um, so I mean, you've done. I mean, you went to theological college with me, you know, you're, um, you know, it's clued up on those things, but you've never, you know, I guess talking and preaching is something that you've not done a huge amount of. Um, how was it different to probably sitting in the library at college writing an essay? Well, it's very different in that, you know, you know the people that you're writing it to okay. and you know that they care and that there's a real reason to speak those words in, you know, obviously in... In college, the person who is reading those essays has read probably 30 of them in that week. And it's about me getting a grade and whether I got something, whether I got the point. And I I really enjoyed um, theological college. I, I so much enjoyed thinking deeply mm. about God, about what we all think. And, and I've missed that. I've missed those conversations with people that you have about the essays that you're writing. Um, but with... But with this, it was kind of getting to do that, but in a way that, yeah, people are going to hear it and it might challenge them. It might make them cross. It might, mm. you know, th- so there was a real relational element to thinking about this. So, um, I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, here at Great Shelf of Free Church, we have women preaching. We've, you know, Diana's preached, Liz has, Tilly, yeah. uh, a number of women. But most of the time, um, yeah. it's a bloke at the front. Uh, and we're in this strange situation where more than 50% of the church is made up of women. And I think if you look out on yeah. Sunday morning, um, or not at the moment, but generally, um, but most of our preaching is from men. Um, as you've approached this or thought about this, and maybe some of your experience of, of going through church, because we've had, you know, we shared some church experience together mm. after we got married and at yeah. college. Um, but before that, you know, obviously um, you were going to a different church um, than me. Um, how does it feel kind of that, that gender gap or the gender divide mm. really well it's interesting um because 
London Bible College or London School of Theology as it is now in, insists on um, whatever your personal views, you have to be okay mm. with women in, in leadership to be there or at least to be on the faculty um, as it was when we were there. However, d- and despite coming from a church that was pro-women in leadership as the Anglican church generally is now, um, I had a youth leader who was very conservative and actually led me, she took every verse incredibly literally and mm. she was very against, um, which was interesting because she was a very outspoken woman, but at the same time saying, but women shouldn't teach or have any authority over a man and they should always be a man over that. And then then obviously after college, which was much more liberal, I went back to your church, mm. um, which was much more conservative again and again women were not allowed to preach or um, give any kind of a talk. And actually, I think I found that quite comforting. There's that sense of the black and white rules that is incredibly comforting. No, this is the rules. And this is because we love you. And this is because men are going to take care of you women. It's just as I kind of more explored my faith or just grew up a little bit, it just didn't seem that that was relevant to... Mm. um, even our relationship. So I'm not supposed to speak up if I think something's wrong because ultimately you have the authority. It just didn't seem practical. As much as it felt quite comforting, it wasn't practical. And I wrestled with it. And ultimately, it just it seems silly. And I mm. think, I just think God's given us the gift he's given us and he doesn't want us to be held back in, in that way. Mm. Well, I guess um, the most controversial thing um, you talked about was Harry Potter, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure it's that controversial anymore. <laughs> um, well, just some background. So we, mm. so my um, old church in Brighton had, yeah, and we got into trouble a couple of times. They did missions with Southern Baptists and it was all very black and white. And Harry Potter was one of those yeah. red line um, things. But it's always been, we'll just talk about this and then we can get on to it. Yeah. Harry Potter has been, you know, kind of a, uh, a long-standing kind of love of yours or mm. kind of, even when Toby was well, a baby. It was... It's interesting because for me, Harry Potter's tied up in motherhood. Like mm. it really is completely tied up in motherhood. I had just had Toby. Mum came down to stay for a month and I was really struggling at that time with mm. postnatal depression. And one of the things we could do together was we we sat on the sofa and we watched Harry Potter while we encouraged Toby maybe to sleep for a few minutes at a time, which didn't really happen. And, and then... I went on to read the books. Mm. Every time Toby had a nap, I'd read a book. And I read those the whole series within, you know, a few months of Toby being born. And if I was having a hard time, if he wasn't sleeping properly, we would snuggle up on the sofa in the middle of the night and watch one of the movies. So, uh, you know, the Harry Potter journey had initially mm. was one of mine and Toby's journeys. And as he was a toddler, he got into it. But often it was the mums in the books. It was... Harry Potter's mum Lily, it was Mrs. Weasley, and even some of the really not very nice characters' relationships with their children, for me, were redeeming. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Also, I just want to add, for anybody who's really read them in any detail, the theology in them is, I mean, they go back to Bible passages time mm. and time again. She's definitely got some, I don't know where JK Rowling is on her faith, but she's definitely got a good understanding of the Bible and themes of faith that I personally resonate with. Hmm. Well, I get the most controversial thing, you know, I don't know how controversial it is, um, but I know a number of people probably you know, might struggle a bit with it, is 
can we really call God a woman? Is that okay? Mm. Um, and uh, I know you've had some interesting emails from people responding really positively about, mm. yeah, many women, I think, yeah, um, responding very positively uh, about um, your sort of reflection on that. And I guess, why do we have an issue with it? And is it okay? Well, that's interesting, because first of all, I'd say no, we can't say God is a woman. We also can't say God is a man. Mm, okay. We also can't say God is an eagle or a bear. So there's a lot of things that we use as a way of describing God. God is God. He is the I am. He is Yahweh. But our limited human vocabulary, at the very least, let alone understanding, means that sometimes we use language that doesn't do him justice. And then being human beings and the need, as I said before, about black and white is mm. comforting. So we, we put terms on God, I think, sometimes for our own comfort, and then we can be determined to keep them there. And so I think the term, the very male terms ascribed to God are there to be helpful, but then they become quite domineering throughout church history, not necessarily biblical history. Um, throughout church history, a, you know, huge amount of male dominance, which is, you know, that's throughout the world's history. And so I think if we just take a more compassionate view of the words that we use mm. then maybe we wouldn't get too bound up but I do very strongly think there are female elements to God there is something that he something of his image that he I'm still using he yeah, because just, to be honest I don't have that other pronoun to use it is just not appropriate yeah, okay. so I don't want to use it so I tend to use he because I know that she can grate on people but I really think it he or she doesn't really matter um but sorry so what was I saying before I got onto he's and she's anyway I I yeah I'm, I'm that's kind of okay. that's now gone and so we picked up a little bit on church history and I guess church history is male dominated you know from the very early onset you know and yeah um and from when the early church went from meeting houses to the formal gatherings that men dominated in and I guess that's stayed the same so is that part of it that the blokes have been in charge so the male kind of describing words of God have stayed yeah I think it is very much linked to um like the monarchy uh, the, you know mm. traditionally it's always been the male takes the power and there is something about men and power mm. women tend to do things in a very different way yeah. there is good um there is good historical evidence suggests that one of the popes was a woman um, really early on, you know, kind of, I can't remember, but like something like, you know, a couple of hundred years in. Um, and that's been scratched out. There's even kind of depictions of that Pope with their face scratched out. And there is good evidence mm -hmm. that it was, a, a, that you know, it was a she Pope. Um, but, you know, as I think right throughout church history, particularly with the Roman church, that was so tied up with power. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of, we carry a legacy today that is more to do with Roman ideals of power mm, okay. than it is um, God's, you know, God's and Jesus's legacy. Um, because, you know, Jesus left a legacy, which was then taken on board by most of the Western world. Mm. And that has an impact on it. So, I mean, one of the things that struck me, and it's interesting whenever you preach, and um, I've had the same, someone comes, oh, that really spoke to me, or you said that, and maybe it wasn't, you know, because not always what, you thought mm. you were saying um but what really jumped out i mean the the parable, parable of the prodigal son is a you know a sort of a well-worn 
um, piece of scripture. Yeah. Um, it's uh, uh, and well worn in its and its evolution of interpretations. So yeah. I think it's evolved in in some of our cultural understanding of uh, of understanding the, the kind of the story. Um, I think what really um, struck me um, was your and your focus on the father, which you know is not a new thing, but the father being gracious to the younger son, and that was really uh, significant. But coupled with the father being gracious to the older son, mm. and I think that can so easily get lost. You know, we see him as grumpy and and whatever he yeah. whether he deals with his junk or not. You know, but he but God goes. Sorry, the father goes to him and is just as gracious mm. um, uh, and sees the guy's issues, sees what he's done, sees him for who he is yeah. and offers him the right way. Uh, he can't cope with it. And, you know, but like we said, we don't know. And the, probably the point of the parable is we don't know. You know, it's left there. But the graciousness of the father dealing with both of the sons, I thought was um, really quite a, you know, a kind of a profound little, um, bit that I took from it. I would like to say that that is my profound work, but it is not. <laughs> um, it was interesting. Uh, so for our first um, sermon on God is, mm. I asked um, Diana if I could borrow her copy of The Return of the Prodigal Son. But then by the time I got the copy, I hadn't, I'd pretty much said what I wanted to say that week and put it on the side. And then I thought, I kept thinking, oh, I, I have always meant to read this book. I should read it. So last Monday, I saw it on my pile of books and I had other things to do. Uh, but I just felt really strongly I should look at that. God, I'll just have a quick look at it. And, and four hours later, I'd read the whole book. I just <laughs> barely moved from the spot. The boys had gone off to school. I think that, that day, that was the first day they'd gone back to school. Toby was in the house. The house was nice and quiet. And I just, I just read it and... Um, it just it it really it really stood out to me of the loving parent like mm. whoa the loving parent and that was it I I really had always heard the story of the prodigal son as um this is how amazing our God is to those who have messed up which is growing up as a good Christian girl is actually quite demotivating because mm, okay. chances are I'm not really going to mess up I'm not going to go and have a wild life so then there's a bit of envy to those who do get to have a wild life <laughs> and I, th I think there is you know how we've been taught this story is quite different to when I read it in Henri Nouwen's eyes mm. to me it, it seemed a very different story and it was the story of this great compassionate father that mm. you know just parent it was this compassionate parent who it doesn't matter that his son is throwing a tantrum because the other son has had a a mess up in his life he didn't he didn't care he still loved that son and that's what I understand of being a parent mm. it does not matter how much my child messes up um big or small you know out of you know pettiness or you know kind of a grave choice I will love my children and then to think that so often I don't think we see God in that light we mm. see God as a if you've tried hard I will love you and if if you've done the rules or you've done the massive apology or you know all, all of these things that we still although we say he's ever gracious we still kind of expect to earn his love and I, I certainly do but then I read this and it was like no it really isn't like that and 
why would I be better than God? If I can forgive my children so freely, then why wouldn't God? And it's that, of course, of course, he's a better parent than I am. Um, So, yeah, and that was really lovely to think of the elder child who I think a lot of us can, his sins are more akin to our own. We've all got petulance and um, lack of gratitude. You know, those are things that actually... I think we can, you know, most people can see that in their own heart. And still, still, he walked outside. He came outside. Mm. He didn't leave the son outside. Mm. And yeah, I think because we, you know, we have the image of the father running to the younger son. And that's the thing. You know, certainly, you know, maybe about 20 years ago, that was, you know, evangelicalized. It seemed to kind of yep. come up to be more about the story of the father. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still... A still think in my mind it's a parable about don't be like the the naughty younger son yeah it's about don't do that and it's used to you know say that's the bad one and be like the other one maybe but it didn't really i also think it's it's the parable of saying sorry to me that's what i was always taught it as you have messed up you are the prodigal whether you can think of that sin or not Mm. you are the prodigal you need to say sorry and then your father will forgive you and it's not it's not about me as a child it's about the father will whatever whatever i do he will be waiting and i think you're right in that um yeah i know you didn't have a a wild um i did definitely not have a wild misspent youth (laughs) Um, i don't think i did you definitely did not have a little bit more i don't know if it's a conversation um but um i think most yeah you're right most of us you know, if we really thought about it, certainly if you've grown up in church life, you know, it's mm. about the older son mentality, isn't it? It's about what I deserve, what have I, what have I lost? Why is that person getting all that stuff? And I see yeah. that with grace, people's understanding of grace. It's, you know, how can God keep, you know, how can God forgive them? You know, they're not good enough. And I've had a number of conversations with people over the years and it's like, I still think if we, if we come to the nub of what grace is, people struggle with that someone could, do the most ridiculous of things and then still turn around and say sorry uh, and come back to God. Uh, and I think we deep down still have a hierarchy of whether we're good enough or not. Uh, and this obsession with not cheapening grace, there's all this mm. thing, you know, not cheapen grace. And we don't, but grace is grace. You know, mm. it, it ultimately in its very nature can be cheapened, you know, because it can be, a, you know, in some ways, mm. you know, abused like, the younger son abused the father's grace to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, he, you know, did he, we don't know if he came back, you know, expecting, we kind of, the scripture says, well, he, all he wanted to do was work in the, mm-hmm. you know, there and it's like, oh, that's a, you know, did he really? You know, and it's kind of, you know, but there's a cheapening of grace that um, ultimately has to exist because otherwise it's not grace. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing because I, when I have read the story this time around, I haven't seen a son that was particularly repentant. Yeah, he no, just wanted and he just home. wanted a better life yeah. and his life was so bad he thought well this has got to be a bit better i think there's just two failing human beings in this story mm. there's two you know whatever level they've messed up on two people who just misunderstand their father mm. and i am a person who has misunderstood the father i will mm. continue for the rest of my life to misunderstand the father because it I, it's still, I think we still want a transaction. We still want to do something that says now you 
have to love me mm. because that's the deal. And he doesn't work like that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I think, um, I, I can't remember the quote, um, but you, I think it was Henry, it's all on renewal. It's all on renewal. Yeah. It's all on renewal. <laughs> um, was this, that's the God I want to believe in. Yeah, yeah. That's the God I believe in. And I think so many of us are used to thinking, you know, whether we like it or not, the judgmental God or the angry God or, um, but I think the way you presented or um, through Henri Nguyen's work that the father's love for both sons and that's the father that yeah. know, I see or I want to see or I try and see. Um, but I think, I mean, a lot of this, and it's interesting, we, we did this on Mothering Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, parents have um, the great responsibility to uh, kind of love kids and, and kind of help them grow up, but also have the propensity to stuff them up yeah you know, well and truly and i think there's a lot of baggage that um i know we carry around with us um you know about how we maybe have some issues you know in our um uh young years and growing up um and a lot of people do i mean this mm -hmm. is a universal you know and I, even those people that you look at and you see kind of you know parent child relationships and they look great yeah still there are you're always going to be these issues in there. well it's we're all we're all hopelessly flawed mm. and typically we don't see our own flaws until they're mirrored in our children i mean that's and that's hard it's mm. like you know i thought i was going to be the most amazing mum, and then you kind of see that you just mess up all the time and that's hard and that's humbling and i think Oh, I just think it helps us to understand grace a mm. lot more, um, you know, when we mess up. But as we might not want our children to see our flaws, you know, we we kind of, we carry the flaws of our own parents. Mm. And they didn't mean to mess up either most of the time, you know, and there's various different situations there. But typically, we all pass on hurt mm. to others being human beings. Yeah, very much so. And I think that, um, yeah, but we do, we bring that, and Mothering Sunday is always a challenge. You know, it is, I, yeah. Yeah, and you, it's pretty easy if you want to market something as a shop or a business, it's all, all out there, yeah. great, Mothering Sunday, let's do it. But I know I stand up there and I, you know, obviously not this year because no one else is in the building, but I look around and I know, yeah. you know, the brokenness that has come about through broken relationships, whether they're mothers or fathers or yeah. children, and it's, it can become a real challenge then to just downplay the whole thing and yeah. uh, getting that balance right with wanting to honour the day because it's important, um, but also just acknowledging the brokenness that comes with that because there's brokenness in human relationships. Yeah. The prodigal son highlights that pretty dysfunctional family. You know, if you look at them and think about them, one's legged it saying pretty much I want you to die. Yeah. The other one's working his fingers to the bone, you know, looking like he's you know resenting everything that his father does um and you still don't get a hundred percent resolution in the end you know the story yeah. hangs with great the younger ones back in the house and having a party but there's still brokenness in the family there's not a big and on renewance he believes that's deliberate mm -hmm. because we don't know what happened to the older brother or the younger brother really we don't know what happens to us we don't know the choice so he, he was saying he thinks that story open mm. show that we don't know what you know, 
know what they did, but also the choice how how we're going to relate to God. Mm. And chances are, as well, it's not just a one-off. You know, those sons continued, in theory, to live with that father. Yeah. They probably got married and had children of their own. Where did that relationship go? They, you know, how did they continue to relate to, to their father? Mm. We don't we don't know, and we've got to keep relating to God, not just today, but for the rest of our lives, you know, hopefully for eternity. So... So maybe it's more the, the kind of parable of the messed up family or the parable of the yeah, yeah. ongoingly messed up family. Um, we're kind of wanting to finish. You were really touched by mm. a final quote that would be nice just to reflect on a little bit um, as we come to a, a little bit of a conclusion. So maybe you'd read that. So it's quite a long quote, um, but I do really want to share it. This is toward the end of Nuon's book, and it says... The parable of the prodigal son is a story that speaks about a love that existed before any rejection was possible and that will still be there after all rejections have taken place. And especially now it says, it is the first everlasting love of a God who was father as well as mother. It is the fountain of all true human love, even the most limited. Jesus' whole life and preaching had only one aim, to reveal this inexhaustible, unlimited, motherly and fatherly love of his God and to show the way to let that love guide every part of our daily lives. It is the love that always welcomes home and always wants to celebrate. I think there's there's so much for me in that. I mean, uh, one of the things is that it's... um, it is the fountain of all true human love, even the most limited. And I think we see that in people. I see, I, de- I absolutely see that in people. You know, you, you think they're, a, they're not a nice person, even on even represented in popular media. And I was thinking of, say, something like The Sopranos. Mm. You know, not nice people. But then they still love the people that, that, you know, they love their children and they would sacrifice themselves for their children. Um, and I... Th- I think there's still a spark of mm. God's love in all love, but it's still, you know, it's limited. And then in other people, you see it much more kind of fully embodied. It's like, wow, the way Mother Teresa, uh, you know, loved the children that she was around. There's, that is a more, you can see mm. the full embodiment of God's love. Um, but then also he says, Jesus' whole life and preaching had only one aim, to reveal this. And I think... For me, the prodigal son, the lost son, is is the parable that in many ways is all of Jesus' mm. teaching. It's right there in in everything that he says. It is about not only God wanting us because, you know, we are precious. It's he wants us because he needs us. Mm. And I think that really comes across when you look at the three parables together. So you look at the lost coin, the lost sheep Mm, and the lost son. It's not of a God that just wants to complete his collection or needs something back in a, in a more general way. It's a, he needs it back. Mm. He, he, to the depths of his being, he seems to need us back. Um, as the, as the shepherd and the woman who had lost um, her coin, they needed it back. And that's what we then see when we see the father running towards his son. This isn't a kind of, oh, well, you know, he's come back. It's 
I'm just, I'm going to run to him. And I, that to me is what Jesus is teaching. And that comes through right throughout the Gospels. You know, when you look at them in this light, you see Jesus revealing not a God who wants to send his son to earth to pay because he's so angry with us all. Mm. And he, he, you know, he can't possibly look at us. He's so angry. He can't possibly look at us. So Jesus has to die. It's not of that Mm. angry, vengeful God. It's of, he just wants to bring us back. Mm. And that, that for me is, is what I got from this. And I think you're right in that, you know, if we understand God as completeness as love, and then we see the brokenness that we have in our relationships and the brokenness that we have in the parables there uh, and the desperation that God puts in to draw that brokenness to wholeness. It's about redemption and all those kind of universal mm. human stories, isn't it? Yeah. And it's our story of how God redeems us. Um, but unfortunately, our understanding of that loving God just gets muddled and messed up, mm-hmm. you know, and... Yeah, you know, I think you know. As I think the church has been a poor custodian of that story. Yeah, uh, and over the years we've just, but you know, kind of just bolted on and you know mutated it and mutilated it until it's kind of you know it's very hard to see the resemblance. Well, I think deep down, what it comes down to is that this story, this story, this these parables that Jesus told are really rubbish when it comes to controlling people. Yeah. There is no organized you know it it benefits humans to make other humans feel bad about themselves because they're much easier to control Mm. when you then free people from that control then they can just do whatever and you can't necessarily organize them so you know you you put in parameters that make people feel bad about themselves Mm. so you can organize them and that's what society has always done and that's what the organized church has always done and so as you know as groups of christians now how do we say ah but hold on not really sure that's what was going on there um and that's what i want to reclaim but it's hard because we've got 2000 years of mm. of that being a you know a cultural thing that we've taken on well i think we've kind of um come to a little bit of an kind of an end there next week it's looking at god's presence an infinite. I've and you are preaching. Yeah, I've got to get my head around. And um, that's great when you just put these things down on a bit of paper and then you come to realise actually you've got to get your head yeah. around them. Uh, and I just want to, um, on behalf of the church, just thank you for um, leading us on Sunday. It was great just to see oh, you, thank you. Uh, doing that. I hope you've appreciated our little chat. And please do, if you've got any comments or feedback, um, email us, um, contact us, uh, and we'll continue the conversation. But this is where we'll leave it for now. Okay, God bless. Thank you very Goodbye. much. Goodbye.